Yet summon events, seventy years gone, as if they were unfolding here and now. More vivid still stood my grandfather's recollection of men. He remembered not alone friends and heroes, but slaves and horses and dogs, even trees and vines which had graven impress upon his heart. I inquired of my grandfather once whom, of all the men he had known, he had judged most exceptional. Noblest, he replied without hesitation, Socrates, boldest and most brilliant, Alcibiades, bravest, Thrasybulus, the brick, wickedest, Anitus. Impulse prompted a corollary query. Was there one whom memory has driven deepest, one to whom you find your thoughts returning? At this my grandfather drew up, "'How odd that I should ask,' he replied. "'For, yes, there was one man who had, "'for cause to which he could not give name, "'been of late much upon his mind. "'This individual, my grandfather declared, "'stood not among the ranks of the celebrated or the renowned. "'He was neither admiral nor archon, "'nor would his name be found memorialized among the archives, "'save as a dark and self-condemned footnote. "'Of all I knew,' This man could not but be called the most haunted. He was an aristocrat of the district of Akane. I helped to defend him once, on trial for his life. I was intrigued at once, and pressed my grandfather to elaborate. He smiled, declaring that to launch upon this enterprise may take many hours, for the events of the man's tale transpired over decades, and covered, on land and sea, most of the known world. Such prospect, far from daunting me, made me the more eager to hear. Please, I entreated. The day is well spent, but let us at least make a beginning. Eh, You're a greedy whelp, aren't you? To hear you speak, Grandfather, the greediest. He smiled. Let us start, then, and see where the tale takes us. In those days my grandfather began, that class of professional rhetorician and specialist in affairs of the courts had not yet arisen. On trial a man spoke in his own defence. If he wished, however, he might appoint an associate to assist in preparing his case. By letter from prison this man solicited me. This was odd, as I shared no personal acquaintance with the fellow. He and I had served simultaneously in several theatres of war, and had held positions of responsibility in conjunction with the younger Pericles, son of the great Pericles and Aspasia, whom both of us were privileged to call friend. This, however, was far from uncommon in those days, and could in no wise be construed as constituting a bond. Further, this individual was, to say the least, notorious— Though an officer of acknowledged valour and long and distinguished service to the state, he had entered Athens at her hour of capitulation, not only beneath the banner of the Spartan foe, but clad in her mantle of scarlet. I believed, and told him so, that one guilty of such infamy must suffer the supreme penalty, nor could I contribute in any way to such a criminal's exoneration. The man persisted, nonetheless— I visited him in his cell, and listened to his story. Though at that time Socrates himself had been convicted and sentenced to death, and in fact resided awaiting execution within the walls of the same prison, and to his aid I must before all attend, 
I agreed to assist the man in the preparation of his defence. I did so not because I believed he could be acquitted, or deserved to be. He himself readily ratified his own inculpation, but because I felt the publication of his history must be accomplished, if only before a jury, to hold the mirror up to the democracy which, by its conviction of the noblest citizen it had ever produced, my master, Socrates, had evinced such wickedness as to crown and consummate its own self-immolation. What was the man's name, grandfather? Polemides, the son of Nicolaus. I recalled the name vaguely, but could not place it in quarter or context. He was the man, my grandfather prompted, who assassinated Alcibiades. The assassination party was led by two nobles of Persia, acting under orders...